the town was in disbelief. And then two years later, Denise Hairway disappeared. The police charged Tommy Ward and Carl Fontenot. She goes, Tommy, I didn't think you'd ever do anything like this. Once the confession tapes were played, these people were guilty. If it wasn't true, you wouldn't say it. It feels like a damn game, man. I don't know why they keep on me. I know I didn't do this. Hey, man, I believe you. Let's start the show. In its fifth year, welcome to Cord Killers, the show about watching the stuff you love when you want, where you want, however you want. I'm Tom Merritt. Hey, man, I'm Brian Brushwood, but most importantly, I assume that guy didn't do it. After all, he said, they know I didn't do it. Innocent man. That's uh, like Billy Joel uh, sang. Okay, I, I'm sure this guy's guilt and/or innocence is important, but not as important. Did I hear you correctly? Are we entering our fifth year? Oh, no, we are entering in a couple of weeks our sixth year. Holy cow, we are wrapping up our fifth year. That's this amazing. Is our- five-year anniversary coming up yeah that's amazing wow uh-huh. uh, it has been an honor to serve with you but not as uh, much of an honor as it is to be with our super producer extraordinaire one bryce neshcom castillo hi tell us about this uh, true crime uh, uh, documentary so that was a trailer for the innocent man a coming true crime documentary series on netflix it's based off the real story that inspired the john grisham book the innocent man uh, it is around the, is about the death of two young women in uh, Kansas. No, no, Oklahoma, I believe. Uh, and the four men who were jailed for their death. That is streaming on Netflix December 14th. Do, do you feel like this is a follow-up, an intentional follow-up? Like, what if we did Making a Murderer, only our guy was actually innocent this the tra- time? So we, we only use a part of the trailer, but they, they, you should go check out the trailer, because then it goes like, well, the evidence doesn't even support their confession, so they can't even they didn't even confess to the right thing and so they believe that there's a lot of small town secrets and <laughs> intrigue right on which is a very weird tone to have about a murder. <laughs> well, it's an innocent. It's an innocent man. <laughs> but which right? one? Although I guess there had to be a murder for someone to have to be declared innocent of something. So <laughs> there you go. Hey, uh, I am innocent in not forgetting <laughs> to introduce our guest today. Nicole Lee is back on the show. How's it going, Nicole? Huzzah! I'm good. How are you? How How is uh, the two-week-old Thanksgiving hangover, if you still have hangovers? I ate the last of the turkey for lunch today. Man, oh, I, there you go. I, I, I am feeling the last vestiges of shame from stepping on the scale after uh, Thanksgiving. So, so my hangover is almost over too. <laughs> and into the holidays. All right, uh, folks, let's start with our primary target. Sources are telling The Hollywood Reporter that YouTube plans to scale back original scripted programming starting in 2020. Now, they're not killing it off entirely. In fact, YouTube's Robert Kinsel says the company's going to shift towards free viewing of originals. YouTube is testing some plans where YouTube premium subscribers would just get the episodes early, or maybe they'd get extended cuts in addition to the commercial free and music and all the stuff that's included in YouTube premium now. So, so Brian, I think this is interesting. YouTube sort of not saying they want to get out of originals, but saying it turns out people don't really like to pay just to see shows on YouTube. And they're looking at a lot of channels that will have memberships where the members get the the posts early, uh, but everybody still gets everything for free on the channel. Yeah, I'd hate to put it so bluntly, but this is a good call on their parts. Uh, I think that they've played everything pretty much perfectly so far. Uh, I resisted going to YouTube premium up until 
Cobra Kai came out, and they did a great job with that by offering the first two and what looks like the third episode free, but then you think you're watching the third episode, and it turns out you were just watching a snippet, and it's like, hey man, now's the time to spend the money, and of course I did exactly what I'm sure they hope would happen, which is sign up, intending to, to get rid of it later, and then guess what? Uh, two months, six months, eight months later, uh, I really like having no ads, and I really like uh, uh, living in the YouTube premium ecosystem, so so in that regard, maybe they've already done what they need to do, and now what they need to do is go to work on individual communities. Because, uh, for example, with Modern Rogue or so on, uh, they could come to us and they could say, hey, uh, you seem to have a passionate fan base. Uh, you seem to offer bonus content uh, through your Patreon portal or whatever. What if we made that content available to premium subscribers in a certain way? And I think I could be talked right into that. And I bet a lot of our fans could as well. Yeah, I think like do 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 do, do all of you subscribe to YouTube Premium? I do Red? now, and and I didn't set out to. I think Bryce was the first among us to give it a try. Right? Yeah, I had. It I for actually a while. no, I've had it for since it launched because I was playing for Google Play Music, and oh, just right. by paying for that, that's it, right, they gave me YouTube Red back when it was called YouTube Red. Yeah, that was the same thing that happened to me. Tom was uh, I actually signed up because of music, and then uh, oh, they, you get you get you get YouTube Red as a bonus. Like yeah, okay, that sounds great, and I and I got so used to not having ads. That after a while, like even when the Google Play music sort of like died away a little bit, I still kept it because I just like not having ads so much that I kept it, you know, which is why I was a little salty when they raised the rates, I think, sometime last year mm -hmm. or something like that. And I was, oh, God, like an extra how many dollars a month. Um, and I never, like, even though I was paying for YouTube, I, bar I barely watched any of the originals. I maybe watched like maybe a series or two or something, and I just didn't watch anything else. But I, I kept it mostly just because of the ad-free promise. And I'm curious, I'm probably not the only one. I'm guessing like a lot of people don't really watch those YouTube originals and they probably did sign up just for like music or just for the no ads. And yeah, I'm not surprised at all, really. Yeah, I haven't watched any of the originals to, to, to any significant amount. I haven't even watched Cobra Kai, which I I know is good because Brian tells me it's good and a bunch of other people do too. So I, I know I'll enjoy it. I just haven't got around to watching it. So I think YouTube is realizing they have a bit of a discovery problem. And the way you solve a discovery problem when you also own the world's largest video platform is <laughs> use that platform to just put your stuff out there. And they they did that, like like Brian said, they did that with Cobra Kai, right? They, they put up a couple episodes out there and then tried to move you in. Uh, Vicky, uh, the Rakuten app that, that brings a bunch of Asian programming to the US and, and a bunch of other places, uh, does a thing where a lot of the shows you get free with ads or uh, you can get them a couple of days earlier, closer to their air dates in their home market if you pay. And that's kind of compelling once you get hooked on a show, right? You go watch all the back catalog for free, and then you catch up and you're like, oh, wait, I have to wait a week for the next one, but I could get it in two days if I pay and I'll get it earlier. I won't have to wait around for the next episode. And when everybody on Reddit is talking about that episode, I think YouTube's kind of hoping to foster that sort of situation. I, I man, I, I really don't know what else there is to chime in on this outside of that, that, that it's probably a generally speaking smart Smart strategy. Uh, the only downside I could think of is that uh, maybe there's a lower budget for Cobra Kai season two. Maybe, although if they're doing that ad support, I mean, they they make a fair amount of cash on the ad. So, you know, if they're they're scaling back the original scripted, maybe that'll kick some more cash. I don't know. I can, I can think of some ways it might not be too bad for season two. Uh, however, 
we will not be doing a season two of Cobra Kai cord killers style with Brian and I as the stars, unless we get more patrons at patreon.com. And it sounds like you're dangerously close to promising us doing a, uh, a sweeted version of Cobra Kai featuring Tom Merritt and Brian Brushwood. The good news is we have a dojo, we have a fighting death pit, we've got land, and we got territory to make this happen. But what we don't have is quite enough patrons. Head on over to patreon.com slash cordkillers. Five years ago, you guys changed our lives. Coming up on our anniversary, we're going to give you a big old hug and a kiss. And thank you for changing our lives to make us loud, live, and independent. Not behold to any kind of network, not beholden to give ad reads for services that we don't believe in, which was a thing in a previous life that maybe it was a thing, but it's not anymore. And it's because of you guys, a dollar an episode. That's all we ask. I'm just saying I wouldn't be averse to a little sweeting of Cobra Kai. I mean, it'd be pretty great. If we it's could pretty see great. Flux. It's not actually what I've set out to promise at the beginning but when you put it like that i'm like that sounds really fun we can get my daughter to to beat up my other daughter and you, yeah. you can bring your dogs and <laughs> what are the dogs gonna do fight each other in the no, fighting pit no, we have to kill i don't know uh we'll we'll, we'll uh, tune into after talk uh maybe we'll put a number on this we'll okay, see right, patreon.com right. slash court killers let's talk about how to watch <laughs> Now, this YouTube story that we just talked about puts me in this frame of mind. And we'd be silly if we thought Netflix-style subscriptions or cable replacement services like YouTube TV and PlayStation View are the only models we'll ever have for streaming. We, get, we sort of get locked into that, that, that thought process sometimes. Like, well, it's, it's Netflix or Hulu Live TV. It's, it's DirecTV Now or it's Amazon Premium. There are going to be other ways that this business model is going to work. We're entering that world where it's no longer about like how you're going to replace cable. It's what are all the ways you could possibly make a streaming service. So it's not surprising to see companies experimenting. Facebook added free TV shows this weekend, Buffy, Angel, Firefly, and set streaming times where they started streaming entire seasons of these shows on Facebook Watch the idea being, let's all watch together these old shows that we all love from Joss Whedon and Friends. Uh, in fact, the Facebook uh, official post about this said it's they're focused on bringing content to watch what people want to discuss and create a community around it. Whether that's live sports like UFA Champions League in Latin America, compelling shows like Sorry for Your Loss, Queen America and Sacred Lies, or even nostalgia content like the Real World Reboot. Facebook is doing. So they're, they're betting their money, uh, it sounds like, Brian and Nicole, on what can we do that makes people show up on Facebook all at the same time and talk to each other about it. This is a smart move, especially because it plays to their strength. Their strength is not the back catalog of uh, originals that people are going to go nuts for. Their strength is the fact that they know who your friends are and that they're good at bugging you on their crappy iOS app at all times, letting <laughs> you know which statistically significant person is most likely to cause you to re-engage with Facebook. So in that regard, like, I, and again, Facebook, uh, whatever, we could talk about how nefarious they are, but, um, but as far as this play goes, it's brilliant. It's brilliant. I've wanted this for years, doing real-life, real-time watch parties. I think there's a place for that, and I'm glad that they're able to figure out a way to get around the rights such that, you know, even if it's old stuff, we're able to do that. What about you, Nicole? I like it. I like the idea of it. Um, I don't know if I like the I, – I don't know if I like that they're kind of going back to the old-school model of setting – 
times for, I mean, that's kind of the old school broadcast way, right? That's a certain time, it's a time and place, same time, same place, and every week. Um, and that's kind of what they're going for. Like it's every Friday at 2 p.m. or something. That's the show you have to watch. And you have to gather all your friends at this time, at this location, it, at this it, specific moment. I'm not sure if I'm into that. It, it does it. seem like you should be able to be the administer of uh, the administrator of a party, and that you one person could say, you know, hey, I'm going to send out the invites. I'm going to figure out the right time. I'm going to gather our crowd. Hey, it's me. You're in my virtual house. I'm putting in the virtual DVD, and I'm hitting play now. And now we're all watching. I, I do agree. It is weird that they're deciding on a specific time. If that's how it goes down. Well, yeah, I, I don't think you are prevented from doing what you guys are describing. Uh, the, the the episodes were available all weekend. So I think you could create your own watch party. And I think Facebook was even encouraging you to do so. But what they were doing with the scheduled thing was, hey, if you want to be part of the simultaneous viewing watch party with Sarah Michelle Geller promoting it, ah. you, you know, here, show up at 3 p.m. Saturday, show up at 12 p.m. Sunday, and we'll all... We'll all do that all weekend long. And, and it was binging, as far as I know. If, if I have, I may be wrong about that, but I think they just showed like all the episodes in a row. It wasn't like, oh, we'll do one this week and one next week, like uh, that. Well, so, and on the one hand, like I understand your point, uh, Nicole, about like uh, appointment viewing, but also I have really fond memories when the, uh, before it was a WB affiliate, I forget which one, but one of the independent uh, channels in Houston did a Star Trek marathon. And I remember my dad just recording Betamax tapes after Betamax tapes uh, in order to time shift it for the future. Definitely not to keep in a library. Uh, but uh, uh, like, I, I have fond memories of all that. And if, and if some echo of that can remain nowadays that I can experience with other people, that seems like a smart play that nobody else is doing in any of the major distribution change chains. I, I mean, I agree that Facebook, I mean, Facebook's, advantage and you know over every other streaming services we mentioned is the social factor is that it knows who your friends are it knows you know the whole they like what you like or you like what they like or something like that and there's that network availability of course facebook is also pushing the watch together with oculus right the whole thing you can we can watch the same thing at the same time and that's kind of their whole shtick and this is definitely the way to do it right having a watch party and I think the appointment viewing with like again Sarah Michelle Geller being the, the 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 star attraction of this thing is kind of cool and almost it almost be, almost becomes like a like an AMA kind of I'm, I don't know I don't know if it's that interactive uh, I mean I don't know actually well, but and, maybe and, it can be that way even right? if you don't have direct interaction just feeling like you're sitting next to Sarah right. Michelle Geller she watches this and be like oh my god I don't remember that haircut at all or whatever it is she's right. gonna say like th there's value to that yeah I, one thing I noticed uh, when I was using the Vicky app on my phone is they have an option for chat that replays all previous comments that have been made by people while they were watching. Mm -hmm. So even though it's not actually a live chat, cumulatively, you're watching with other people and reacting at the same time. Now, you can't have direct conversations necessarily because they're not actually there. Uh, but for that sort of like, oh, my gosh, I want to watch uh, all the latest episodes of The Eternal Love from Tencent, and I'm a huge fan, and this is the only place I can get it. It it feels like, oh, this is going to create c 
community spirit because this is the only place they can get it. They're with like-minded people. There's not a lot of other people who like watching this except them, and they all appreciate it. They're all cheering for the same characters and booing the same characters, and it's really fun. So there's absolutely something to that. Whether it's, I mean, I get where Facebook's coming from is like, oh, but you know who else has a, a, a vital niche following is Joss Whedon. We'll do a bunch of Joss Whedon stuff, but you can get those elsewhere. There's no shortage of places to watch Buffy. In fact, Hulu has all these episodes too. They're non-exclusive. So what is it that they can do? And, and maybe it's the originals or someone else can do that's, uh, that that feeds into that. Is it is it acquiring these kinds of niche episodes that aren't available elsewhere, but do have rabid followings already. So, okay. So uh, the most obvious thing is to carry sports, which they're already doing, right? They're already right. playing that game. Or trying to, in uh, as many places. Second yeah. place is, let me tell you, like our friend John Hess over at Filmmaker IQ, if he were to put together, he says, hey, I have 10 movies and I'm going to explain uh -huh. to you real time why they're important and what you're going to get out of them. I'm going to look and maybe half of them I've seen before, but because I trust John and because I'm his friend on Facebook or whatever, I was like, yeah, I'm going to show up for, for however many of these. And if I don't miss, if I miss it live, I'm going to watch the replay with him live texting during 2001, explaining things about aspect ratios and how the special effects were accomplished and what the controversies were behind the scenes. I think that, that, that is the real value to this is that, uh, we've talked about this for years. There is room for a curation class of creator where it's their job to be somebody who can eloquently speak on behalf of all of these different bits of content uh, and, and share them and in so doing create their own unique curated experience. And I think that this is a place that that can really sing provided the library is extensive enough. Yeah. And I could, I could see this working for, you know, Hong Kong, Hong Kong, Mar uh, Hong Kong gangster films or Godzilla or, uh, yeah, or, you or, know. or imagine uh, Quentin Tarantino saying like, Hey, here are the 10 movies that I ripped off to make all my other movies. Right. And, and, and that kind of explosive language might be exactly the way he decides to phrase it, you know? And then they're like, Oh my God, I want to know what those 10 movies are. Yeah. This, this reminds me, I mean, there has to be, that's had, that had to be similar marathons on like regular TV before. I'm pretty sure this existed in some form before physical before Facebook, this is a watch party thing. And um, I think you're absolutely right that the power of curation is, I would say, vital for this to really take off because think about MST3K, right? The shows are kind of crap, but because they, there's this unique spin on it, there's a unique sort of humor and voice to the curation part of it that adds interest to whatever, you, you, can, watch, you can be watching like B-grade movies, but because there's some kind of like flavor and context and all of those things that adds you know pizzazz to an otherwise maybe boring movie or whatever and this would be great for like i mean not every episode of buffy is going to be amazing right and some there are some downs and some, there are some good ones so i think having like sarah michelle get or maybe joss whedon there say this wasn't good because behind the scenes somebody got sick that day i don't know something crazy like that that would add a little bit more flavor to the to the show well, and, and I think you could do that without taking anything away from the original. I think the old school yeah. model of all this would be like, oh, we can't say that. Uh, we, we can't admit that a performance was off or whatever. But we're entering, <laughs> you know, clearly when it's all the fans that are tuning in at the same time, they're there for the inside sauce on all this. They want to hear like, you know, and right up to, hey, listen, in a moment you can hear he mispronounces the name of the bad guy in three, two, one. And then we're like, we're like oh, my God, he did. How did I not notice that? You know. <laughs> 
I, well, I, and and all that stuff happens in director's commentaries already. Yeah. This is this is a step up from that, right? Like this is something where you can have you could possibly have an effect on the director's commentary because they see one of your questions or a clever remark you make or something like that. Yeah, well, and I could totally picture, like, imagine a version of director's commentary where you already have your questions going in, and you could say, like, hey, man, was that a deliberate homage to Fight Club in old school when you were clearly shooting at the same, you know, diner, and you make a comment about clean food, and then they could be like, yes, yes, it was. Yeah. Well, folks, this we're just talking about the Facebook approach here and Facebook Watch, and look how many different directions we could go with that. Uh, I'm curious. Think think ahead. What other models could you see? Like, this is what I want. This is the streaming service that doesn't exist that could take the fact that we figured out how to stream video over the internet pretty well now. Uh, they, they could take that and do something cool with it. Let us let us know. Cordkillers at gmail.com. Oh, you know what? Let, Talk about what let, to watch. Let, let, let me before we do. Let let me throw my first example. Like if we're thinking way out of left field, what about a Reddit style thing where everybody creates their own curation and their own comment and and the crowds vote on the best and then that becomes that defines so in other words rather than a central uh independent character being the host of it instead it's all crowdsourced and even the commentary come from 75 different people but all the most highest upvoted things for individual moments all of a sudden it becomes this this meta uh narrative that's created by the crowd Sir, cordkillers at gmail.com, please. Sorry, your, sorry, I jumped the line. Suggestions. I'm not even a patron, though. I, that's the, oh, what a bummer. <laughs> we'll, we'll read it next week okay. on the show. <laughs> Promise. Hey, last week, Netflix announced a lot of things it's going to do. We're going to talk about a few of those, but it also announced one thing it won't do anymore. Daredevil. With the usual thanks to cast and crew, Netflix announced this last season of Daredevil is, in fact, the last, at least the last on Netflix. Uh, there are some simmering hints that maybe Daredevil might show up on Disney, maybe even in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, maybe with different actors. That's all uncertain. What is certain is no more Daredevil on Netflix, leaving upcoming seasons of The Punisher and Jessica Jones as the only Marvel series still left on Netflix for sure. That seems fairly shocking. This this third season I heard was pretty good, right? I read an interview with one of the writers who was in the middle of scheduling uh, writing sessions for the fourth season, which they have a story arc for when they got the word, stop your work, folks. We ain't doing a season four. Yeah. Uh, very surprised. I guess that's all I got to say. I mean, I'm, I am... I am surprised. I am also not shocked that Netflix and Disney are having a little slow motion fallout over the fact that Disney is launching a competing service and they're very carefully disentangling themselves from each other. So I, I sort of wondered if Daredevil would be the exception, but apparently no. I mean, I, I guess that I, I figured like of all the Netflix Marvel properties, I felt like Daredevil was... Uh, reliably the strongest of all of yeah. them. And so oh, yeah. in that regard, I'm surprised to see that that's the one that took the fall. And you can put your money on the fact that the Punisher and Jessica Jones will have these similar announcements as soon as their seasons, which are already underway in production, hit Netflix. Uh, we Because, you know, when Iron Man got canceled, nobody batted an eye, right? Uh, but then Luke Cage got canceled. And, well, okay, I, I Iron guess. Fist. Now Dare, Daredevil getting canceled. It's like, that's it. They're going to cancel all of them. There's, yeah. there's no... 
Uh, Netflix announced it will bring out a live action version of anime classic Cowboy Bebop. Uh, original animated series director Shinichiro Watanabe will participate as a consultant. The series' original Japanese production company will share executive producer duties. Chris Yost, who wrote Thor Ragnarok, will write the first episode. Also, we'll talk about that, but hold on. A couple other anime news. Neon Genesis Evangelion is coming to Netflix in spring 2019. Uh, this is not a new series. It's the the first time it's been streamed. And Netflix will host the premiere of the latest Ultraman anime series, which is a conversion of the latest manga reboot of the original TV series uh, in April 2019. That will also be a world streaming debut. Uh, Nicole clearly has thoughts. <laughs> um. Well, let's just start with, um, I mean, Neon Genesis Evangelion. Let's talk about that for a second. Like, this is the first time the series is going to be licensed for streaming ever, ever. Just think about that. It has never been streamed ever. You had to and buy DVDs. <laughs> you had to buy DVDs. Like, there, there's a whole generation of people who has never watched a single episode of this thing. And I think it's kind of a big deal. Um I mean, I don't know, Bryce. I mean, you might, you might, you, you sort of entered the this note in there. I think you might have thoughts on this as well. Yeah, I, uh, I also have never seen Evangelion because it was not streaming. You can't, you can buy it digital. I don't think you could buy it digitally anywhere. You'd have to buy the discs. No. And yeah. and then you know, then you get into the weird world of like, oh, is this who localized this? Is this subs? Is this studs? And then at that point, it's just like, someone will let me buy it but but to go straight to streaming via netflix is is a really big get this is is like the biggest get well uh, i i know that uh so a friend of mine brett weaver is one of the voices in in that and uh he uh Uh um uh, yeah i remember introducing him to uh shannon moores who's very uh, into anime right and uh and i was like oh you guys are gonna get along famously and he's like oh yeah i do anime voices and he's like she was like yeah like what you know with that little bit of off-putting attitude (laughs) and he was like well i was so-and-so in evangelion and she was like what and it was like instantly (laughs) had credibility so i i know the reputation of it but but that's wonderful that there will be an easy way for me to reach out and experience and uh, my my understanding was that there was some question of whether they would get a new english dub for this it sounded mm-hmm. like they might i don't know exactly mm-hmm. uh but they're also including the first two uh evangelion movies the uh one is basically a retelling of the series and the other one is extends the ending to make it more actiony but not the new re-revived movies that they're still working on so this will be more just the original arc can we now i was Oh, sorry. I was very carefully reading the responses on Nicole's face. As I said, the original director of Cowboy Bebop will participate. She's like, okay. Uh, the original production company will be EP. There was a raised eyebrow. Okay. I mean, the idea of making a revered series like that live action is risky, right? Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> I mean... Live action anything, to be fair, is risky. Like, uh, I know a lot of people were very excited about The Lion King being live action, but I still have my doubts because I don't, I, I don't know. Like, it's live action anything because and the 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 whole point of animation and anime is that there's so much creative freedom. You can do like all kinds of like facial reactions, all kinds, of, you know, things you could do in like real life. You know, even even with CGI and all of those right. special effects. Um, but you know. The fact that, as you mentioned, Tom, the fact that the original director is going to be on board and, you know, they have all of this help with the Japanese side of things. So 
okay. I mean, you know, give it a shot, I guess. I, mean, I don't, I don't, again, don't know until you see it. I and guess. and there's trepidation <laughs> because Netflix has already, I mean, Netflix has two live action anim, anime live action adaptations that they call originals. The Death Note one that they rewrote to oh, take place in America, which was Death Note. Uh, no oh, good at all. Death and then, Note is a freaking. <laughs> I know recently they made a live action anim, uh, adaptation of Bleach, which, or maybe they co-produced it, but that's also not great. I haven't actually seen that one yet, but I hear not great things so it's like this is a, a huge hurdle to climb is like anyone getting this right is 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 a high is, is a high hurdle i uh i have a, a strong feeling of confusion with even the idea that trying is bad um no, as, no. as like like but and that's what it boils down to is is people are saying like no don't try this i'm so afraid it will be bad that i don't even want you to try uh, and then they they say, oh, what about Avatar: The Last Airbender? Well, guess what? Yes, there was a bad Avatar: The Last Airbender movie, uh, and now there's going to be what looks to be a very good live act uh, action Avatar: The Last Airbender created by the actual people who do it. Uh, likewise, there was a bad Iron Man movie. There is a bad Hulk movie. There is a bad Thor movie. Guess what? We got the MCU. Uh, there, there's a, there was a bad Judge Dredd movie, and then there was Dredd, which was absolutely fantastic. So uh, this this idea of don't try is is utterly alien to me, and I I it, to me it just screams of I am afraid it will not be good. I am afraid that it will be known and people and I'll have to explain that the original was good and this is bad or whatever, but you've already been through that. We've all been through that. And I would gladly pay that price again to get another crack at the MCU of all of the criticisms. The most shocking one to me was we already have a live action uh, cowboy bebop. It's called Firefly to which I respond. <laughs> yes. And we all deeply miss Firefly. Wouldn't it be great for someone to commit millions of dollars trying to capture that magic again? Um, but but again, you know, my my fandom is different than other people's, and maybe they're just thinking ahead of like, I don't want to get made fun of for for loving something that turns out to have a bad adaptation yeah. of it. No, I, I'm a hundred percent with you, Brian. Uh, yes it might turn out bad. And yes, then, then you'll be angry that the thing you loved has been dissolved, right? That that's usually how the, the, the criticism goes is you're, you're diluting uh, the amazingness. That is the thing I love uh, by adding something to it that doesn't need to. And I'm just like, well, okay. Uh, if it's really that bad, it'll go away and people won't remember it. And the thing they'll remember is the good one. Uh, and I'm hundred percent with Brian, like, but man, if they try and win, if they do it and it's great, like how awesome would that be? So I'm, I'm on your side, like and try if, and yeah, sure. Maybe it's likely you'll fail, but still why not try? Because if it's not good, then everybody will hate it and not watch it and it'll go away and people will forget about it. And th there's a side tangent as well for all of those failures that where they try to directly adapt things, you know, like uh, the Akira movie never ended up happening. Uh, but you know, there was chatter about an Akira movie. Uh, like, look at the stuff that is peripheral. Like, um, uh, what was it? Uh, Edge of Tomorrow was basically All You Need Is Kill. Is that what it was? The uh, the original manga. Um, the, uh, uh, the, the Matrix was basically, they walked in and said, hey, here's Ghost in the Shell. We want to do that, but live action. You know, it, it, yes, okay, maybe this will fail, but maybe in its failure, we'll get the real Cowboy Bebop movie under a different title and a different director and with different buzz in Hollywood. And so in mm -hmm. general, like 
the more at bats you get, the better a, a home run you get. And anything that can bring me the experience of the Avengers movie all over again, I'm in favor of of trying. It is a noble effort. I I think it's I think always I, good to try. I, sorry. Oh, I I think it's always good to try though. Like in the case of Cowboy Bebop, what if we just had another season of the show? Like, oh, uh, I, I actually think that would be worse. I, why? I think, worse than trying? Well, no, be, because it is a complete story and to staple on uh, an appendix to that story, I, I don't think would be good. Uh, whereas mm-hmm. a retelling or a reimagining of that story, I think could be very good or very bad. Think, you know, who knows? I have like, I have just one addendum to all that. And I completely agree that it's, it's okay to, for people to try new things. And then that's, that's completely, I understand the reactions as well. You know, the, the fact that it's a, it's a precious property and some people are very, very beholden to their, the thing they love. Um, but there's just one extra point that I think I understand why some people are upset because there is this presumption, I think, in certain, some circles that live action is better than animation. And I think that's what people are sort of maybe feeling reticent against. It's like this whole like, oh, it's live action, therefore it's better than anim-. And that's not true. That just, that just mm-hmm. isn't true. And then I think there may be some reticence in some of the fandom communities and saying like, you know, they're doing this just because live action is better or they, they believe that live action is, is inherently more believable or something. Well, yeah. I, I think it's certainly more version. approachable. Like you know what I'm saying? I, I think it's certainly yeah, it's more approachable fight, but... for a bigger, you know, subsection of people. Yeah. 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 I'm just tired of all these Shakespeare reboots, you know. My God, <laughs> man created the perfect play. Why do you have to mess with it? Uh, Netflix announced original animated events. These are not anime. They're animated events, uh, series, and specials, all based on Roald Dahl novels. That's right. It's the Roald Dahl Extended Universe, including Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, Matilda, the BFG, which was just made into a movie, but it's coming back here, uh, The Twits, and more. Production starts next year. They're not doing all the Dahl properties. Missing, particularly, are The Witches, Fantastic Mr. Fox, and James and the Giant Peach. That that has to be, uh, well, at least two of those uh, were very recently made uh, stop-motion animation. BFG was just made, too, so there, there's just different rights issues with everything. Right, I correct. I, I'm assuming that behind the scenes there was some uh, negotiations. Yeah. Uh, Netflix ordered a police procedural called Criminal, set entirely in police interrogation rooms in France, Germany, Spain, and the UK, with appropriate local producers and writers for each three-episode stint in those locations. Now, if the idea of a series uh, police procedural all set in interrogation rooms is ringing a bell for you, that's because two weeks ago we were talking about a CBS All Access show called Interrogation (laughs) with exactly that premise, different setting, obviously, but this seems to be the hot new trend in Naked Shows. Uh, Right on. I don't have a lot for that. What about you, Nicole? Um... I guess it's, I guess it's like a re- like a real life procedural kind of show, or is it? Um, sorry, I haven't, I haven't really. Is it? I mean, is it, is it fictional? So they're they're police okay. procedural. So you'll 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 be trying to help figure out the criminal. Oh, okay. All right. I mean, sounds yeah. fine with me. I mean, I have no nothing against it. You see, no, these they seem like try. A, no. these seem like a writer's exercises. Like you know, you you flex your writing chops uh, by yeah. by being stripped of all the outside <laughs> right. stuff. <laughs> 
And maybe come up with with capture some magic or something. Uh, Deadline says Marvel will bring martial arts expert turned superhero Shang-Chi to the big screen. The character was created by Steve Englehart and Jim Starlin. First appeared in Marvel Comics in 1973. They did promise to update it for a modern world, uh, not a 1973 world. Uh, but yeah, this appears to be, if Deadline is right, uh, part of phase four. I don't understand. Uh, it's like we already have the perfect version of Shang-Chi. Uh, it's in comic book format. Why Why try to... Oh. <laughs> Wait a minute. I think I see what you're doing there, Brian. Uh, yeah, I, I am not familiar with the comic, uh, but I also was not that familiar with Iron Man either, and they did a great job. So I don't know. Is anybody a big fan? Nah, not in my case. Nicole? No, Sorry. Well, good. Then we can all be delightfully introduced to the world of Shang-Chi. All uh, right. Let's talk about what we've had our eyes on lately. Nicole, what have you been watching? Um, I've been watching She-Ra, the new, um, the reimagining of She-Ra uh, on Netflix. Go and do that. <laughs> we already had the perfect She-Ra. She was called She-Ra. She was a princess of power. <laughs> <laughs> her name's Adora. Yeah. <laughs> uh, she had a certain look to her. Why does she have to look all different now? Um, I, um, I, rem I remember watching Shira as a kid, um, and I remember loving it as a child. But I don't remember like every single like storyline or anything, right? So watching this with fresh new eyes and loving it all over again, falling in love with the character all over again. And uh, she is just the is it, it is just the perfect show about like a strong female figure like she has strong views, and not, not but more than that I think without spoiling anything, um, there is a very interesting idea of like not all good people are good all the way and not all bad people are bad you know com hmm. without without any con without any context like you know bad people ha are also good like that, that there's this whole like amazing. I don't know, moral undertone or context um, that really gives characters a really, very well, really well-rounded, is what I'm trying to say. Like, um, it's really good in general. That's, it's very positive um, LGBTQ, like, references in there. Um, it's super... It's like if if you've ever if you if you know Steven Universe, Steven Universe is another like animation um, on a, a Cartoon Network, and uh, that show is very female positive, very LGBT positive, and this to me strikes that same kind of tone, where like a lot of positive female figures, um, and not just that. I think I think Shira is good for like young girls to watch. I think it's good for young boys to watch just to mm -hmm. just to see just to see you know like how people should be to each other and, and the soul I, I, I don't know i love it so much i should i can talk forever about um the story arc and um i don't know i love it so, I, I i really i really love it because it's more it's 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 a children's show that an adult like me can really be into um i don't know i think it's awesome that's cool. Yeah, I was a big fan of Shira as a kid, and I remember thinking, "Should I be watching this? I'm a boy." Uh, but no, no and, and seriously, like it helped me break out of that kind of mindset that I was that I had been raised in somewhat. Yeah, as as very positive messaging. I mean, that sounds like you know, it was positive messaging. That sounds like really boring, but it's not. Like it's super fun. Eat it's your peas. <laughs> 
eat your peas, the moral lesson. Um, it's not that at all. The the story is fascinating. Um, the animation style is it's kind of generic, but it's I think it's fine. It's perfectly it's perfect for Netflix and. Um, I think like the story itself is super interesting and I love that it's set in like a sci-fi universe and mm. there's like laser beams and, and it's like magic and um, I, don't know, I, I think super cool. Very cool. Uh, Brian, what have you been watching? I finished up The Bodyguard finally or, or oh, Bodyguard, good. not The Bodyguard, uh, just Bodyguard. Um, I have thoughts. My Bodyguard. Uh, I, I have uh, thoughts that we'll discuss in spoiler in time. Um I don't know if you'll like them or agree with them. Uh, I did watch, of course, uh, Dirk Gently, which was the other thing. Uh, Good Places off this week, so I didn't watch that. But here's a fun one. Uh, I mentioned last week that I've been going through the back catalog of some Red Letter Media stuff. They did about a month ago, uh, back in October, they went and watched the entire Psycho franchise on their rewatch series. And of course, you don't normally think of Psycho as a franchise. You think of it as the one movie and then a bunch of things that came afterwards. But uh, those are movies I will never sit and watch all of. But now I feel like I've gotten the gist of what was good about each of them, uh, if anything, and when there was anything. Uh, It's a really, really great retrospective. I highly recommend it. It's about an hour long between the two parts to watch it. And uh, uh, not only... Of course, you find out all the things that are great about the original Psycho, but you find about all the uh, homages that they made in the in the in the after ones, and which ones they were playing straight, which ones they were playing as cheesy slasher stuff. How it changed when Anthony Perkins directed one of the Psychos, and uh, uh, it's it's awesome. It's it's fantastic. Very cool. Uh, I want to mention briefly that I, I finished watching season three of Man in the High Castle, uh, and. I'm still really a big fan. Uh, it's it's one of my favorite books of all time, if not my favorite sci-fi book of all time. Uh, and I, I thought it was a strong season and enjoyed watching everyone. It's it's deep, it's dark, but what I was always worried about with that series is where they would go after they left the book, which they did at the end of season one, pretty much. Uh, and they've, they've taken it to some very interesting levels that are worthy of Philip K. Dick, uh, at least in spirit. Uh, but the big thing I want to talk about is Train to Busan. Uh, Eileen wanted to watch this last night, and I was like, all right, sure, I- I'm in. It's two hours. Uh, we'll watch this, and then we'll eat dinner. Uh, it's a zombie movie. Don't eat dinner after a zombie movie. Watch <laughs> this later, maybe. Uh, two hours, you know, don't like swimming. Wait until you eat <laughs> after eating. Uh, it's really good. I am tired of zombie movies. I am burnt out on zombie movies. The idea of watching a zombie movie in general would not be appealing to me, but I'd heard this was really good. So I'm like, all right, let's give it a shot. All takes place on a train between Seoul and Busan. Busan is on the beach. So you're talking about a a, a several hour train ride. Uh, And the train is leaving the station right as the zombie breakout is happening. And a fund manager is accompanying his daughter to go stay with her mom in Busan uh, because the two are separated. Uh, and of course, you, you can see where the drama goes from there, but it doesn't go to all the places you might expect that has great characterizations, really good surprises. Uh, the suspense is handled impeccably. And I found myself enjoying a zombie movie and I didn't think I would. Right on. Bryce, what are you What's- on the lookout for? 
Hey, we got a recommendation that might entice Tom. The letter reads, I was listening to Tom and Roger's East Meets West food episode. That's Tom's podcast. And it occurred to me that Tom might find the show interesting. Uh, it is called Lords and Ladles, where three Irish chefs uh, go to various Irish estates and they cook a menu for a dinner party in the estate's history. So a historical uh, menu. The chefs Derry Clark, Catherine Fulvio, and Paul Flynn take three different roles each week. One is the main chef. Uh, and they plan and cook the meal. Uh, one person is the gatherer, where they get uh, historic ingredients or some kind of, or substitutions from modern sources. And then the third chef is the historian to explain the history of the estate and the history behind that particular dinner party. Uh, the show is on Netflix. Sincerely, Kimberly, the Texas teacher. Thank you, Kimberly. Two seasons of Lords and Ladles are streaming now on Netflix in 13 countries, which does not include the UK and Ireland. But you might have good uh, luck watching that on RTE's rte player um that looks like a bbc iplayer sort of thing so check that that's the original network that it's from so you might have some luck there excellent thank you kimberly uh that that does sound something like, like something i'd enjoy <laughs> i might download that for a plane ride or something that sounds pretty cool if you got something we should be on the lookout for email us cordkillers at gmail.com it's the most wonderful time of the year folks the time when brian makes your lives better by selling you cool things. Hells to the yes, man. It's all over at scamstuff.com. That's gear for the modern rogue. Uh, let me tell you, we, we did a big deal with our, our Black Friday, Cyber Monday stuff, and I know a bunch of people are thinking, oh, I already missed it. What's the point? Hey, between you, me, and the wall, uh, we kind of sort of left the discounts active. What, so really? It was uh, two weeks ago. Uh, very, uh, which, I mean, I mean, it's uh, I, 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 the, but, uh, don't 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 tell David that I said this. Uh, uh, actually, I I think they're they're not quite as good as they are on that day. But um, uh, everything is still on sale for this moment. If we still have time to get stuff out to you for Christmas, uh, I think you guys are really going to dig it. We've gone to extreme lengths to make sure everything is as clever and unique as possible so that nobody will, if you're just looking for something out of left field that people are going to be like, oh my God, this is so incredibly thoughtful and clever and I haven't seen anything like this, then do me a favor, check out scamstuff.com. I think you're going to like it. Let's move on to the front lines. Front lines. Nielsen reports that more than two thirds of U.S. homes have devices able to stream video and nearly 8 billion hours of programming is streamed over connected TV devices. This is uh, looking at the stats that separate your computer and your mobile device from television. People aged 13 to 34 spend twice the time streaming if they're watching on a connected TV device compared with watching on a computer or mobile device. They basically uh, spend an hour per day on a TV-connected device versus 36 minutes on a computer or 26 minutes on a mobile device. Only 3% of live TV viewers across the five TV networks between the ages are between the ages of 18 and 24. So this age group is not watching broadcast TV networks shows live, but they are spending more time when they watch streaming video if they do it connected to a television. So what, abandoning television, but not abandoning television. Yeah, I, I guess there's something magic about having the big shiny box in the living room that, that keeps everybody plugged in. Uh, yeah. Meanwhile, Hulu has made Discovery, TLC, Motor Trend, Animal Planet, and ID available with a live TV. Library episodes from other Discovery networks like Food and HGTV were added to Hulu's on-demand service. Hulu's Destination America, Discovery Family, Science, Discovery Life, and AHC Entertainment Package and Spanish Packages uh, added some Discovery networks as well. So, yeah, that's Hulu with live TV versus Hulu, which is 
really horrible naming Hulu. Can you come up with something else? Because it's really hard to to explain this to people. But if you're getting their cable replacement, Hulu with live TV, you get a bunch of Discovery channels. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Plex is now offering access to Tidal's high-quality music streaming service. The $10 a month service is only $9 if you're a Plex Pass subscriber. And the music will just show up right next to the stuff in your catalog. So we have a lot of Plex users in the audience that they might be interested. So the uh, the, the, the Tidal streaming service, uh, is that is that pretty much all the same music that you would get on Spotify or, or Pandora? I mean, Premium? there are There's differences between them, but yeah, for the most part. Yeah. The big one is Beyonce. Tidal has more Beyonce. Got it. At 10 a.m. local time, December 1st, Japanese TV networks uh, NHK began broadcasting in 8K. That's a lot of Ks. By satellite with 22.2 <laughs> channel surround with its first movie listed as 2001 A Space Odyssey, which was rescanned from the original negatives for this broadcast. Sharp began selling its first super high vision ready TVs with the built-in tuner last month for around $6,000. Tom, I got to tell you, I, it just seems to me like at 8K, uh, finally you'll be able to see the noise of the film grain in proper fidelity. <laughs> like, what else is well, there? Well, yeah, I mean, the reason they picked 2001 is it was shot in 70 millimeter, right? So there's a lot of resolution, a lot of film resolution uh, to pack in there. And it apparently looked really good. Although every 8K review I read basically says, eh, I don't know. When I got more than a foot away from it, it didn't really look that much better than 4K. Yeah. I, 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 do you have a uh, pixel fever, Nicole? <laughs> no, I, well, I mean, I do most of my watching on this little computer right here. So it's kind of lost on me, but, uh, I mean, I do have a TV. I know we use it to watch movies together. Uh, but I don't have an 8k TV and I think I'm, I'm fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That said, I'm pretty sure 8K would be like all over CES in like a couple of months. So I don't know. Who knows? Maybe in like 10 years or something. I mean, this this is a technological moment, not a consumer yeah. moment. This is yeah, this yeah, is yeah. Japan getting ready for the Olympics, wanting to be able to say all the cool That's things right. they're doing at the Olympics in 2020, including broadcasting in 8K, which is the future. Uh, we're not going to really get 8K service for several years, and at which point they're going to have to be something like HDR or some nifty cool trick that we all want to do uh, to make people really want to get things in 8K because otherwise... Once once we get to HK, then all of a sudden we're in like that total recall world where it's like you have video walls where it's like in order to even appreciate the yeah, benefits yeah, of yeah, it, yeah, it's got to be the size of an entire wall. Right. There, I That's that's a really good point. I've been trying to think like 8K is going to bring about something, but it may not be just a better TV, right? I, event, I mean, at 6,600 bucks, that's not bad, right? So for, for this early in the adoption, by the time there's actually programming you might want to watch, it's probably just going to be in all the televisions. So if you buy a new television, it'll be capable of 8K. Whether you'll want to rebuy movies in 8K or not, probably you won't care. I mean, think about but, it this way. Imagine 8K displays getting as cheap as like $2,000 for, let's say, 10-foot wide displays. Then all right. of a sudden, for less than ten grand, you are able to create uh, visual scapes in a room. You're able to walk in and say, take me to the beach. And all of a sudden, you look around and you're in the beach. Um, I, I did some There's pitches. There's no more mounting your TV to the wall. It is your wall. Exactly. And I yeah. think that's I think that's where we're headed. And and you can get a taste of that. Uh, I, I did some 
pitches uh, over at Netflix. And when you walk in, they have um, uh, these OLED walls all the way around. And they are, I think, around 8K. And it was enough that it that it really confused me because I thought I was seeing just a painted wall or maybe there was like a, a black light shining on it like you're at a miniature golf course. And then all of a sudden, a boat sailed across it and for a second I was fooled and I realized I was like oh this is how it's going to be in in everybody's home in the future yeah no I think that I think that's it right this isn't about like get ready to buy your new tv to watch Deadpool in 8k this is (laughs) something totally different I say that because Deadpool was the first movie I bought in 4k so it just sticks (laughs) in my head uh let's get to some dispatches from the front Chris wrote in and said, hey, guys, just listen to the episode. And Ian was technically correct that Crave in Canada concludes or I'm sorry, includes HBO. But you need to pay for the twenty dollar per month package. The ten dollar per month package does not include HBO or the movie network. Good clarification uh, there. In case you were Canadian, very excited about getting HBO on Crave. You have to pay a little more. Mike writes in saying, hello, employees. Maybe this is the wrong podcast to ask, but what VPN do you guys use? Purchased a new laptop and have never set up a VPN before. Wanted to travel the world like Tom does. Been supporting (laughs) you guys for years on Patreon. Thanks, Mike. Uh, Thank you, Mike. Uh, I have a take on this, but I'd love to hear from both of you guys. Do you have a favorite VPN? Nicole, you want to go first? Um, I just use Sonic's VPN, which is my ISP, and they offer a VPN for free. That's Uh, That's what I use. Uh, I, I have a private tunnel account. It for years was my default VPN because I paid for a bunch of, uh, you paid by the bytes. I paid for a bunch of bytes in 2012 and I still have them. I have not run out, but honestly, I've started using express VPN almost exclusively because it's just got more servers. It's got better throughput, uh, and it works great on the phone. So I, I my choice these days is ExpressVPN. I used uh, ExpressVPN until NordVPN approached Monorog as a sponsor. Uh, oh. And I was, I, keep in mind, I, I was satisfied with ExpressVPN. I was blown away by NordVPN. Fastest by far, way faster in my experience than ExpressVPN. Uh, also, there's little things like I, I dig the fact that um, they're registered in Panama, so they can't be compelled. They don't keep records of anything. So if if privacy is important to you, they make it really, really easy to just have it on all the time. Uh, couldn't be happier with NordVPN. Um, uh, full disclosure, they're a sponsor of the Modern Rogue. And if you go to <laughs> NordVPN.com slash Modern Rogue, you can get uh, <laughs> uh, uh, three years at 75% And if you're on. throwing things at Brian right now, uh, <laughs> do know that PC Mag gives NordVPN five out of five, an outstanding rating. Like, it, it is a, a respected... <laughs> Uh, VPN out. I, I, and and again, I didn't, go, I didn't. More, this is an ad read. I didn't. I didn't expect it. And and yes, I mean, this is full disclosure. But but it is a case where it was. It, I had gone through, I think, four different VPNs before these came along as a sponsor, and all of a sudden it was just like next level. I was like, okay, well, we're getting married. I still prefer ExpressVPN. It's all, you know, it's all a matter of personal situations. Uh, Sean wrote in and said, hey, underlings, Tom, Brian, Bryce, and possible guest host. That would be Nicole. Uh, You had a story about cable TV fees going up for the local and regional sports channels to a whopping $18 a month. I would be thrilled to have this service for only $18. I would then supplement my TV with Philo for the non-sports and non-local entertainment. I get that the legacy TV company is not actually providing such a package, but they should. Okay, Sean, 
if you're already if you're criticizing Sean and going, well, that's not the cost of the package. The sports cost a lot, and then the eighteen dollars is extra. That's not Sean's point. Sean's point is like, hey, if you actually offered me sports for eighteen dollars a month a la carte, I'd take it. Sean, go to Sling TV. Basically, get that. It's twenty dollars, not eighteen, but it's pretty darn close. And no, you won't get all the sports unless you pay 25 to get the sports package, but 18, 25. I mean, are we still out of your ballpark? And sling TV gives you the ability to sign into the ESPN app and get all the ESPN channels in watch ESPN as if you were just a regular cable subscriber. So there's this weird thing where some people are like, yeah, but I don't want all that other stuff in sling. It's like, well, just pretend it's not there then and just use it for the things you want. If you would, if you'd pay eighteen dollars for it, you're pretty much almost there already, right? Well, and honestly, the Sling package that has like all the ESPNs and stuff is mostly ESPN, right? And then some other cable stuff, like you get AMC or whatever. It's like it's not a lot of extra stuff you're getting oh, on that twenty dollar package. Also, if you like certain sports over others, it's even easier. Mm-hmm. If you like, yeah. you know, baseball over soccer or whatever, that's it's it's even easier to pick the sports you want. Right? Yeah, yeah. And finally, Mel writes in saying, I think AT&T would be better off making a dongle or box that's only for DirecTV now without all the other apps, since most TVs have those apps built in. That way, it can focus on a flawless operating system. I'm sure nobody uh, will debate you. Sure. Uh, don't debate us at cordkillers at gmail.com. Uh, what, what I will point out to Mel, and, and maybe Mel knows this, but the operating system already has, they're using Android as the operating system. It already has the apps. So the, it's a question of like, do we go ahead and leave Netflix and Hulu installed on the dongle and then lock everything else down or not? I don't know that eliminating those apps would improve the operating system, but that may not be what Mel meant. Mel, Mel meant, may have meant, uh, I, I just mean that it'll be a better more functional operating system because it won't have all those apps running in the background or having to run in the background, et cetera. That, that, there's a fair argument to be had there. Well, thank you, Nicole Lee, for putting up with all our fair arguments on today's show. No problem. Thanks for having me. If people want to follow what you do, where should they go? They just can go to twitter.com slash Nicole slash N-I-C-O-L-E. It's the first person I ever followed on Twitter, and it should be the person you follow next. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Our website is cordkillers.com. Our email address is cordkillers at gmail.com. We're live on twitch.tv slash nightattack, which is also carried on diamondclub.tv. Mondays at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific. We'll see you next time. Hey, guys. Brian and Tom here, and it's just the same old message. At the end of the credits, just like always. That's right, Brian. Nothing new here except your name showing up. Oh my gosh! Because I've you got a just name. supported us on Patreon. Yeah, all those five dollar donors. Look at that. That's your name in pixels. We're gonna make you famous, kid. Put your There's name some in pixels on the internet. Classic names in there, but some of you are new. Some of you aren't there. It's sad. What can they do, Brian? I mean, they could go to Patreon.com/slash/CordKillers and pledge five dollars an episode to be one of these amazing people, like this the one. Amazing. Oh, look at look at that name right there. Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. <laughs>